Good morning. Today's scripture reading is 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 through 4. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may proper, prosper, sorry, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Lindsay, thank you so much for doing our reading this morning. Kirsty, wow, what an amazing voice, what an amazing testimony. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. I want to remind you that Thanksgiving is this week. I don't know. It came earlier this year or something would happen. But, um, and we have a service Wednesday night that we'd like to invite you to. It's, it's kind of a family service, a short service, one hour. And in it, we worship the Lord in song. You'll hear a, a short message from me on Thanksgiving, but it's sort of a, a sermonette. It's shorter. And an opportunity for you with an open mic to share things you're thankful for. And I'd like to invite you to come. That's when, this Wednesday at 7 p.m. Let's remind the Lord why we're thankful and remind ourselves. So we pray together. Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. And so we enter your, go- your gates with thanksgiving, Lord, your courts with praise. We are so grateful for our salvation in Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, Lord. And you forgive us not only for the ones we remember and we know about, but you forgive us from those ones that we've committed that we don't even realize we've done that have offended you. And we just thank you that we can be as white as snow through Jesus Christ. Lord, we just thank you that we have such a wonderful God, a God who's gracious and kind. We're grateful to you that you are a God of mercy but also truth and justice. We're grateful to you that you are a God that is all-knowing and all-powerful, and yet you are all-forgiving and gracious to us. Thank you, Lord, that you watch over us, and you watch over our loved ones. Lord, we pray for those who will be away from us during the Thanksgiving holidays. We think of our military loved ones that will be away, and we pray for their health, their safety, their well-being. We pray that their hearts will be filled with thanksgiving to you and you would bless them during this holiday season, even while they are away from us. Lord, for students who are traveling and some won't be able to come all the way back to Hawaii for Thanksgiving, we pray you'd fill their hearts with thanksgiving and your presence and you'd bless them. For those who are dealing with health issues that will keep them away from family or from travel or might keep them in bed, we pray that you administer to them health emotionally mentally, spiritually, and Lord, also physically, that you would touch them. Lord, we are thankful for the opportunity we have today to hear from you. We thank you that you are a self-revealing God, that you have revealed yourself to us and you're continuing to reveal yourself to us. Lord, reveal truth to us and do that miracle where you speak through a frail vessel, a preacher, to every heart here. A powerful message. It's through your spirit that this happens. And we ask all these things through the name of Christ, the name of which we are so thankful. Amen. 
It's the deadliest wildfire in California history, the campfire, as it's called. Every time I turn on the news, the numbers change. Last time I looked, over 71 people have been found dead from the fires, over 1,000 people missing. In the city of Paradise, California, in Northern California, a city that had a population of 26,000, 90% of the people have lost their homes, 90%. We have a sister Christian Missionary Alliance Church there in Paradise, California, Paradise Alliance Church. The flames came up to the church building. The building has been seared by flames, filled with smoke, but the Lord spared the building. So that building now is a rescue shelter for people who have lost their homes and lost everything. If you go on the news and you see something, it might quite possibly be our church where the people are being housed. That church has a staff of 21 people. 16 out of 21 staff members at that church have lost their homes. The senior pastor moved to that area, became the pastor three months ago, lost his home. We look at that devastation and we think someone needs to do something. Someone needs to help them. As we finish up our study today in 1 Corinthians, we come to the last chapter, chapter 16. And in chapter 16, the first part of the chapter is a plea for the church in Corinth, Greece, to help people in need all the way across the sea in Jerusalem. The people in Jerusalem who love Jesus have been struck by a famine. They've been struck by persecution, causing some of them to lose their jobs. The church isn't made up of wealthy people. It's made up of poor widows. It's made up of freed or maybe not even freed slaves that have come to know Jesus Christ. They own nothing. And a smattering of other people. It's a poor church suffering. And they have great need. And so the church in Corinth is being asked to help. You might not be aware of it, but one of the Apostle Paul's priorities on his third missionary journey, when he traveled to visit the churches that he started in Asia Minor, we call that Turkey, and up around into Greece, one of the main priorities he had when he visited these churches was to make a collection for the poor, to get money to help the poor Christians in Jerusalem. I'd like you to turn with me before we go to 1 Corinthians 16 to another book, to the book of Galatians chapter 2. Because in Galatians chapter 2, we see Paul preparing to go on his third missionary journey. And he's at the church in Jerusalem telling them about his trip. And in verses 9 and 10 of Galatians 2, we read this, Galatians 2, 9. And recognizing the grace that had been given to me, this is Paul speaking, James and Cephas, another name for Peter, James, Peter, and John, who were reputed to be pillars, gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we might go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. As the Apostle Paul meets with these Jewish leaders of this Jewish church, he says, I don't want to go reach Jews. I want to reach non-Jews, the Goyim, the Gentiles. You might not be aware of it, but the first big controversy in the church was whether Gentiles could actually be saved. Christianity is a Jewish religion. It started with Jews. We have a Jewish Messiah. And they were getting born again. They were getting saved. They were proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. And then the gospel message started going to the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were getting saved, and the church was saying, wait a minute, we don't know about these Gentiles being part of the church. 
And so the Apostle Paul, who's Jewish, the Lord has called him to reach Gentiles, non-Jews, for Jesus Christ. Verse 10, they, James, Peter, and John, only asked us as we went on this third missionary journey to remember the poor. The very thing I also was eager to do. He says, yes, I'm going to remember you back here. I'm going to remember the poor. And he said, as you visit these churches, remember the poor. In other words, get some money to help us. Now let's fast forward in time and let's turn to Romans chapter 15. Galatians is prior to what we're going to read in 1 Corinthians 16. Romans 15 is after what we're going to read. The money has already now been collected. He's been on his trip. He's collected money for the poor. And he says in Romans 15, verse 26, these words. Romans 15, 26. For Macedonia and Achaia. Macedonia is a northern part of Greece. Achaia is a southern part of Greece. Corinth is, is located right in the middle at the isthmus. So sometimes it's connected with Achaia. So northern Greece and southern Greece have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So Paul is writing to the church in Rome. He's saying that the Christians in Greece have taken a collection, they've gotten it, and it's for the poor people back in Jerusalem. And he says in verse 27, yes, they were pleased to do so. The Greeks were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to the Jews. For if the Gentiles have shared in their, the Jews' spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them, the Jews, also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this, finished the collection, got it to them, and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by way of you. I'm going to go to Rome. After I finish the collection, get it distributed, and I will go on to Spain. Apostle Paul didn't make it to Spain. He was arrested, and that's how he made it to Rome eventually. Yes, the Apostle Paul brought the gospel message to the Gentiles, but he also had a concern for the physical well-being of the poor Jews in Jerusalem. And the Corinthians, back in 1 Corinthians 16 we discover that they had agreed with Paul that they would collect money to help the poor, but there is a problem. There was a logistical problem. How do you get the money in Greece across the Mediterranean Sea to the people in Jerusalem? There's no iPay on their phones. There's no PayPal. No Western Union bank transfers. No personal checks. How do they get the money there? On top of it, we might forget that their currency was all in coins. It's metal. It's heavy. They have no paper currency. It's all coins. So when they collect this money, they have huge bags or barrels or buckets or something of heavy coins. And they have to get it 2,000 miles overland or by taking a series of sketchy boats across the Mediterranean Sea. Logistical issues can discourage even the sincerest of motives when it comes to helping the poor. If you've watched the news and you've seen the devastation and you've seen the tears, you might have said, I want to help, and you're sincere. But you go, how do I help the people in Paradise, California? How do I do that? They're logistical issues. Your heart's sincere, but the logistics can get in the way of helping. And this is what happened to the Corinthians. They were sincere, but they haven't 
been able to figure out how to get the money there. So we pick up the rest of the story in chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians, verse 1. And the Apostle Paul writes this in verse 1, Now concerning. This is the fifth time he's used those words in the book. And every time he uses it, it's a response to something they've asked him. They wrote him a letter. We don't have that letter, but we have his responses. And now for the fifth time, he's responding to a question they had. They had a question about the money. How do we do it? How do we accomplish this thing that we promised to do? And so he tells them how to do it. Now concerning the collection for the saints. Not the collection of the saints. He's not collecting money from them in this phrase. He's saying it's a collection to give to other saints. The collection to give other believers. The Jewish believers in Jerusalem. He says, here's how we're going to do it. As I directed the churches, plural of Galatia and Asia Minor... So do you also. Do it the way we've done it in the other churches. On the first day of every week, notice the word every, let each, notice the word each one of you, put aside and save. So he's not saying bring it to the church every week. He's saying every week make sure that you've set things aside. As he may prosper that no collections be made when I come. Collections, plural. I think he's saying, when I get there, it's too late to start collecting money, and I don't want to just do a one appeal. I want you to plan ahead before I get there, start saving money. We're going to get more money if you plan, if you collect every week. Don't wait just till I get there, and you get there. I get there, you go, oh, I didn't bring money today. Or I can't do it this week. It's a tough week. So what we learn here are some guidelines about giving. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about giving. This isn't everything the Bible has to say, but as we go through the book, you've noticed we cover the topics that are in the book. Some are easy topics, some are hard topics. Today's topic is about giving. I rarely talk about giving. Why? Because I believe if you are healthy spiritually, you're going to give. I don't want to just sit here and make a plea and say, give, 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 oh, please give. You know, if you're healthy, you're going to give. Giving is a reflection of how you're doing spiritually. And if we can help you be good spiritually, you're going to give. Now, if you're a first-time visitor here, you're going to go, oh, my goodness, every time I go to that church, he speaks on giving. Well, if it's your only time here, well, that's true. (laughs) So here's here's some healthy guidelines on giving. Number one, make giving part of your life's plan. If you look in your outline there, number one, make giving part of your life's plan. The Apostle Paul tells them to plan on the first day of the week. That's Sunday to us. Sabbath was the last day, the first day of the week. He wants them to have a plan. He gives them a plan. He says, I want you to give weekly. And if you're going to give weekly as a Christian, make sure you spell weekly with two E's. Ah, yeah. That was kind of weak. <laughs> That's even weaker. Okay, let's go on. Kailua Community Church is a generous church. Your giving to this church is healthy. It's consistent. It enables us as a church to have a plan. For a number of years, I've been adding up how much we give each year. I'm just sort of curious And it's pretty consistent that this church gives away over a quarter million dollars every year to help the poor physically and spiritually. And part of the plan we have as a church is to give money away locally. Part of it is to give it away globally. Let me just mention a couple local things that um, maybe you're not aware that you're doing. 
When you put money in the offering bag or you go on tithely and do it online or how you give to this church, here's some things that you are doing. As a church, we have a plan, and we do this. We give $1,000 a month. That's $12,000 a year to help people who are one step away from being homeless. These are people in transition. They've perhaps come out of prison or they've come out of some type of uh, abuse, um, rehab, drug abuse, alcohol abuse, rehab. And now they're thrust into society and they have to rent a place and get a job. And, of course, they don't have any income. One step away from being homeless. So we help them over that hump. Every month, people come. We say, we can pay that rent you have. And usually their rent is manageable for us. You know, it's not that $4,000 thing. It's a few hundred dollars rent. And they need that. Or they need that cell phone payment so they can get a call and get employment. And so we have helped hundreds of people over the years. I, I don't know the number. I haven't. We've been doing this for, for 19 years. Not always that amount, but we've been doing it consistently. Now the plan is $1,000 a month. You give, keep people one step away from homeless. Why? Well, we don't want to just treat the problem. After it happens, we want to try to keep people from having that problem. But some people, we haven't been able to keep from having that problem. They're homeless, so what do you do for that? Well, every month, this church gives money to support the River of Life ministry downtown, where there are a lot of homeless people that come, and they feed them, and they provide clothes, they house some of them, and they provide job training for some of them as well, and you give to that. So that's something you're doing to help people that are homeless or one step away from being homeless. But in addition to that, Locally, we support the Aloha Pregnancy Center, which is a Christian organization that counsels young women in a crisis pregnancy with Christian counseling. So they understand the value of that child within them. And also they help practically help provide diapers and formula and different things like that for these young ladies in a crisis pregnancy. But we do more. We have a a couple, young family in our church, used to be on staff, the Stringer family. They have now gone to University of Hawaii to minister to grad students there the gospel and to disciple them, these grad students. And so you help support that. And those are some of the local things we do. But we also do global things. We have a young man from our church, Austin, who used to be on the worship team. He's now in in Germany. And he's working there as a missionary in Germany doing discipleship ministry. We have friends in, in Greece that are working with Muslim refugees and immigrants. As you know, Greece is the door to Europe or has been the door to Europe for many of these refugees coming in. They work with homeless people, a lot of homeless people now in Greece because of the economy um, and what's going on there. We work in, as you know, in Uganda. We've been working there for, for 14 years, and, and we have hundreds. That's just a, a token number of kids on the wall, the pictures there that we've helped, orphans. There are children that will not eat if you don't give money, and you've been giving money, so they get to eat. We've been doing a feeding program for a couple hundred kids every single day. They get fed because of you, and they live in a Muslim slum, and they wouldn't eat if it wasn't for what you did. And they wouldn't go to school if it wasn't for you sending them to school. And they wouldn't have medical help if it wasn't for you building a clinic there. And they wouldn't have a church to go to, a church building to go to, if you hadn't built the church building there. In Costa Rica... We have a family from the church that's now in Costa Rica, and they are counseling victims of human trafficking there. So when you give money to this church, you're helping people who have been victims of human trafficking. But in addition to that, of this regular giving, 
we as a church have a plan to set aside other monies for big projects that come up. And because of your generosity, as you heard, the Chaya family, Martin and Joanna, they are ministering to this diaspora, this spreading of Muslims, this wave that have come to Europe. And we could just complain about it and say, Western Europe's never going to be the same. Well, that doesn't accomplish a whole lot. So instead, we sent $10,000, as Pastor Tom already shared with you, in order for this ministry to help people who are fleeing Islam, who have been persecuted, who don't care too much for their religion. They are searching, and they need jobs, and they need housing, and they need to learn the language, and they need Jesus Christ. And so you're doing something about that big time. We had a young man who used to go to this church. His grandmother still does. He came a few months ago. He shared with you that he had an amazing, unique, one-of-a-kind opportunity because he's a linguist to go into a very, very, very close country in a part of the world I won't mention because it's being recorded. And they want to translate the Bible into their language for historical purposes, the language isn't lost, and so they're asking him to go in a country that no missionaries, nobody can get in. They are very dangerous people and very close, and he's been invited, and so you gave $10,000 so his family could move in that direction, and they're now over near that country, and he's starting the project. And you gave toward that to reach one of the most closed people in the world. You are doing that. And just last Monday night, in response to the fires, our governing board met, and we have agreed that this week we are sending $10,000 to our sister church in Paradise, California. And your heart might have broken for the people in Paradise. You didn't know what to do. Well, you're already doing it, and I just thought I'd let you know. When you give to this church, you are giving to those things. And we do that because we have a plan. We don't just go, oh, what should we give to now? I don't know. Who do you know? (laughs) And every one of us needs to have an honest-to-God plan where you go before God and honestly you listen and you say, God, what is our plan? Now, in the Old Testament, God made His plan (laughs) very specific. The Jews were told, give 10% of your produce that you grow on your farms and of your herds and your flocks, give 10% of it to support the ministry of the Levites and the priests. You go, yeah, I knew they gave 10%. (laughs) They didn't just give 10%. And they gave another 10% to support the religious festivals. That's 20%. Wow. Didn't know that. And they gave another 10% to help the poor every third year. Why? That that seems like, eh, that's a lot. Yeah, that's a lot. 20-something percent over a period of three years. But in the New Testament, God takes a more individualistic approach. It's between you and him. Look at what it says in verse 2. On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save. That's the plan. You need to have a plan for your giving. But the second one is, as he may prosper. As he may prosper. That's our second point. Give according to your prosperity. He says, give according to your prosperity. 
Don't give a straight percentage. Someone has pointed out that if someone is extremely poor, giving 10% of what they have may throw them over the edge. Where someone who's extremely wealthy, giving 10% is chunk change. It's nothing. It's not a sacrifice. It doesn't cost them anything to give 10%. So he says, don't give a straight percentage. Give according to your prosperity. Give sacrificially, yes. And it might be a lot more than 10% if you're wealthy. And if you're really, really poor, maybe you can't make 10%. It's not about percentage. It's about prosperity. And someone is quipped. They said, give according to your prosperity, lest God makes your prosperity according to your giving. (laughs) That's why this church that has been blessed, your board, makes it a priority to give money away. $250,000 on average every year to give away money because we're blessed. We are to make a plan, and we are to give according to our prosperity. And then Paul goes on. Verse 3. And when I, Paul, arrive in Corinth, whomever you may approve, not who Paul approves, who you may approve, I shall send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem, and if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. Now, I did some rough calculations. The land route from Corinth to Jerusalem, according to Google Maps, is 2,000 miles. And it's probably pretty accurate because a lot of the roads follow the same roads as the Roman roads. Well, if they're going to walk 2,000 miles with big, heavy sacks of coins... An average day, a person walking covered 15 to 20 miles. If they only covered 15 miles, it would, cost, it would take them 130 days. If they have no problems, no weather problems, no robbers, no sickness, no injuries. 130 days to get from Corinth to Jerusalem. That's over four months to go, hey, we got a lot of money here. Ching, ching, ching. I know. Hmm. Ching, ching, ching. Hey, we got a lot of money here, don't we? Yeah, we do. Ching, 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 ching. Hey, we got a lot of money here, don't we? We do. And, you know, you're passing through Bulgaria, and you go, boy, I kind of like Bulgaria. How about you? You know, or Croatia, whichever which way they go. Hey, look at me, and you have a little villa here. Nobody's going to know. They're going to think we were robbed and killed. Let's just buy a villa. There's an integrity issue here. Money does funny things to people. People will sell their bodies for money. People sell their souls for money. Pastors can start out poor and and sincere, and then they become famous and rich, and they lose sight of the Lord. Money does funny things to people, and by funny, I mean bad. Friendships are ruined over money. You you owe me a hundred bucks. No, I don't. No, you do. Don't you remember? No, you didn't. Yes, you did. No, no, no. Marriages are ended over money. I am told that the number one subject of conflict in a marriage is money. Well, I promise you, I have never argued with my wife over money. (laughs) Wherever she is. (laughs) Churches split over money. Christian organizations dissolve over money. So the Apostle Paul recommends some accountability here. He says, whomever you may approve, you choose the people, but I'm going to send them with some letters, and I may go with them too. What are the letters? 
I don't think it's, hey, Bob, how you doing? I think it's, here's how much money was collected at this home church and this home church and this home church. Here's how much is in the sacks, and here's who's carrying it. And let us know and count it when you get it. And we're going to keep a ledger here, and you're going to take a ledger there, and we're going to have some accountability here. You're saying, I didn't see all that there. (laughs) Well, I I think it's implied. He says, whom you approve. And I'm going to have letters, and I'm going to put my seal on it, he said in in Romans. See, a third guideline is this. Give where there is probity. You're going, what? Probity. P-R-O-B-I-T-Y. No, I know that's not a word you maybe use all the time. It means honesty or integrity. So if you don't care about having three Ps and alliteration like I care about, just put honesty there. Plan, prosperity, and honesty. That doesn't fit. Plan, prosperity, and probity. That's why I use the word probity. Integrity, honesty. Before our church just sends $10,000 and throw it at a campfire, we made some investigation. We contacted people. Our district superintendent, who's over that area. And we're going to be sending the money through our own church our sister church that's there because we want the money to be handled with integrity. We don't want to just throw it at some secular organization and not sure if they're like taking out you know, a large percentage just for administration. We want to make sure it's going to who we, who we want it to go to. So we look for probity, integrity, honesty when we send money out. You see, it's not just feeling good that you gave something. It's about doing good with what you gave. And that's why our missionaries know that we support them annually, which means it could end after the end of a year. We don't just say, well, we're going to support you for the rest of your life. We expect our missionaries to give us accounting and, and reports of how they use the money and what they're doing. This church, our budget is public. We print it out. We hand it out every year. Here's the budget. You vote on it. There it is. How, here's how the money's spent. We follow the guidelines of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. When it comes to staff compensation, there is a book about yay thick. It comes out every other year. It's recommended by the IRS. It's the handbook. It's called the Compensation Handbook for Church Staff by Richard Hammer. And it tells you if your church is this size and it's located here and you're this denomination and da-da-da-da and you have this position in the church... Here is what your salary range ought to be based on your experience and your education. It's all mapped out and it's surveyed all over the country. And we follow that because we believe our salaries and compensation should be done with probity, integrity. But when you give money to this church, it's not only handled with probity or integrity. It's handled, here's a bonus, wisdom. Because someone could be honestly handing your money, but they they do foolish things with it. They squander it. They have bad investments. We are blessed to have what I would consider the wisest money manager on our board that I've ever known. The person, I think, is prophetic. I mean, how can you sit down and say, I estimate that a group of random people in this church, we don't know how many people are actually going to be in the church for the year, are going to give this number over the year, and here's how we should spend it. How can you figure that out? And we've had a turnover this summer of 100 people, probably 200 people in this year. How do we know the 200 people that replace this 200 people are going to give the same amount? They might be less generous, more generous. And yet, 
in wisdom, he helps us plan out the budget, and to date, the year's coming to a close, we are within $6,000 of his projection, 6000 in the black. I go, how could you possibly know that? He has a lot of sleepless nights, bites his nails, you know. And I just go, praise God. <laughs> that doesn't include what I don't see who gives. I don't know where it came from, but we got a very large gift this year. It doesn't include an additional gift that we got this, this year to the church from someone who must have tithed over off a house sale when they moved. It was such the largest gift I've ever seen given to this church. And that money, some of it was, we already had a specific need, and so it went to that. Another big section of it is being put aside until the Lord shows us how he wants to use it. So Paul gives us some very helpful guidelines here. Make giving part of your life's plan, give according to your prosperity, and give where there is probity. And we know from the earlier passage that we read in Romans that the gift was collected, and he put his seal of approval on it. Paul closes the chapter. He has a lot of things to say. We don't have time to go through every verse, but can I just tell you how he closes uh, the book? I, I find it kind of funny. Um, he closes the book, verse 21. He says, the greeting is in my own hand, Paul. See, there were some problems with people forging letters, saying they were from Paul. And so Paul after he dictates this letter to someone else who's writing it, at the very end he grabs the pen and he writes the last little greeting in his own hand so they know it's from him. There's integrity, there's probity there. So he says, the greeting is in my own hand, Paul. And then he says, before I read that, you've got to realize that there were some problems between Paul and the church in Corinth. Some people didn't like Paul too much, you know, and there's some conflict. You read that in 1 Corinthians, you get in 2 Corinthians too. And he gets to the end of the book, and it's, it's like he, he's biting his tongue, and he just can't hold it any longer. And verse 22 goes, If anyone does not love the Lord, let him be accursed. <laughs> now, that's Greek for, sorry, go to hell. <laughs> and then he goes, Maranatha, which is Aramaic for, come, Lord, quickly. It's sort of like he's just sick of it. He goes, go to hell. Lord, come back. <laughs> and then he goes, and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And the book closes. I just thought you'd like to know that. And if you didn't want to know that, then just forget it. But I just thought that was interesting. That he's, he's totally human. He's totally human. I want to show you a pictorial diagram with PowerPoint of what we just saw. And I've never used PowerPoint before. And I probably will never use it again. Okay. I'm not a big PowerPoint person, but I think this is important. So if you put up my concentric circles there, and for those who are listening online, we have five concentric circles. It looks like a target. And then the next slide shows you that in the center is the Apostle Paul, that everything that happens next is because of the Apostle Paul, that if you didn't have the Apostle Paul, the next things could not happen. So you had to have the Paul, had to have Paul. you had to have his relationship with Christ, you had to have his enthusiasm for the Lord and the poor. So the next circle there shows us that the Apostle Paul is the one who planted this church in Corinth. It wouldn't be there without Paul. And so his ministry starts to expand. It blossoms, and this church is born, the Corinthian church. Now the next circle, the Corinthian church then, starts influencing the city of Corinth. We are told that we are like salt and light as Christians. Salt is a preservative, 
by just being in our community of Kailua or wherever you live, you are helping to preserve the society. That the society is better just because of your presence. Because you're not rioting, you're not stealing, you're not committing adultery with the neighbors. You have kids that you're raising to love Jesus. And I realize every family, there's no family that's perfect, but by our very presence, we make the community better. That's salt. But we're also light. You're attracting people to Jesus Christ. You're inviting them to church. You're inviting them to your home group. You're inviting them to your house. And so, as the Corinthian church grew, they affected the city of Corinth. And as bad as the city of Corinth was, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. And that's all because as Paul came, he influenced the church, influenced the city of Corinth, and the city of Corinth and the people then influenced the world, which includes Jerusalem. And so they were able to give money to Jerusalem. But the poor in Jerusalem would not have been taken care of by the city of Corinth, the church of Corinth, if the Apostle Paul had not gone there. And so they're all connected. And this is what we call the community. Sometimes people go, well, what are you doing for the community? And I say, well, which circle do you mean? Because every one of those circles is the community. And every one of those circles needs to be taken care of. And it starts with the first one, with the Apostle Paul reaching all the way out to Jerusalem and the world. So let's look at another set of circles. What is our community? Well, if you want to help our community, let's start from the outside, our world. We need to help our world. The world is our community. The Muslims in Europe are our community, but then we work closer to home. And the next one is our city. Now, in my case, my city's Kailua, but you're not all from Kailua. You might be from other parts of the island. You might be from other parts of the states or the world, but your city. And then moving closer to home, we have our church, Kailua Community Church. And then moving in closer, we have our staff. And all of them are needed. We need a healthy staff to have a healthy church. And if you don't have a healthy staff, you're never going to have a healthy church. And then if you have a healthy church, you're going to be able to reach your community. You can't reach your community unless the church is healthy. I mean, if you have an unhealthy church, we don't want you reaching the community. (laughs) And as the community and the church is healthy, then you can help make the world healthy. Every one of those is important. Now, I want to show you some of the things that you've been doing in our community, and I started listing them. Let's go ahead and put them on there. And some of these have to do with our church, some have to do with Kailua, some have to do with the world. And just watch, just keep watching, just keep putting them on there. Boom, boom, boom. You can see that we have things going all over in different aspects of our entire community. So when someone says, what are you doing for our community? We're doing all these things, and we're doing a lot more. Because you look at that and you go, hey, you left off uh, Operation Christmas Child, which helps the community. Oh, yeah, I left that one off. Hey, you helped that new mental health um, class that we have that's helped. Yeah, I left that off. Oh, you left off the people that are now doing foster care in our church and promoting. Yeah, I know I left that off. And then you're looking up there. Yeah, but you left off the one that I know I left that off. I mean, we couldn't put everything up there, but we wanted you to have an idea of the things that we're doing, that you're doing to reach the community. And you are doing a wonderful job, and it's because we share a plan. And we're giving according to our prosperity. 
and we make it a point to handle our funds with probity. Will you pray with me? With our eyes closed so you can have a private moment. The greatest gift ever given was the gift of Jesus Christ, God's Son, for your sins and mine. If you're here and you've never received that gift, then you are spiritually poor. And God wants to make you spiritually rich. Jesus died for your sins. He was raised from the grave, showing that he conquered death. And he's offering you the gift of eternal life and the forgiveness of sins if you will but cry out to him and say, Lord, save me. And if you've never done that, I encourage you to do that even now. Say, Lord Jesus, please save me. Come into my life. I yield my will to yours. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the generosity of the people here. I thank you, Lord, that this church has been able to do amazing things locally and globally for the glory of Christ. Lord, we want to pray for those who are suffering because of the fires in northern and southern California. We pray that the name of Jesus would be magnified in this disaster and these disasters. We pray that Christians would shine brightly and be able to lead others to Jesus Christ and find comfort and hope, both spiritually but also tangibly and physically, Lord. Lord, show us as a church and as individuals what our role is in accomplishing your purposes in Paradise, California. In your beautiful name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and worship our Lord in song as we close. If you're here and you've received Jesus as your Savior recently, would you tell someone it's the greatest decision you could ever make, and we would love to hear about it. Uh, Just a quick benediction as we leave today. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. In his name, amen. Have a great Sunday. Thanks for celebrating Christ with us today. See you soon.